and welcome to the Pandemic Puppy Podcast, brought to you by Journey Dog Training and the Pandemic Puppy Raising Support Group on Facebook. I'm your host, Kayla Fratt, and I'm super excited to be raising my puppy, Niffler, alongside all of you. As you all know, I'm a certified dog behavior consultant and a conservation detection dog trainer, but um, Niffler's my first puppy, so we're right in the thick of all of this together. On this episode today, it is just me, and we are talking about chewing. This is a really common problem, like many of the things that we cover in this podcast, that just about everyone who's dealing with puppy um, is going to deal with at some point. So let's talk about why it happens and what to do about it. Before we get started, though, a quick reminder that this podcast is supported by our members over on Patreon for as little as three bucks a month, um, which is, you know, like less than a coffee in most parts of the country. In most parts of the U.S., um, you can support this podcast and get to submit questions to us that we answer at the end of the episode whenever we have those questions. You also can support the podcast for free by sharing it with your friends and family if they've got new puppies, by reviewing us on the iTunes store, and um, just liking, commenting, sharing, engaging with us however you see fit. We really appreciate all the support. So let's talk about chewing. The first thing, you know, as we're dealing with any behavior problem with our puppies, with our dogs, period, the very first thing we're going to think about is just making sure that the puppy is happy and healthy and enriched, period. So that means starting with behavioral wellness. So is your puppy getting adequate exercise and enrichment and sleep? And are you communicating with them well? And is there are nu- their nutritional needs, needs being met well? So for our puppies, a lot of times chewing comes up because they're bored. So increasing their exercise and enrichment is going to be a huge part of dealing with chewing. Most puppies, if you give them enough good options to chew, are not going to quote-unquote choose to chew on something that is less tempting like your stuff. And then on the flip side, you know, so that's exercise and enrichment, you know, making sure that we really hit that. And we'll, we'll circle back to this a little bit more. But I, I think starting out with this behavioral wellness framework, which we have to give credit to Sarah Strumming for, um, I'm so glad that she kind of created this, uh, this paradigm for us. The other thing to think about is nutrition. Sometimes when we see our puppies really chewing at particular things, it might actually be because they've got an upset stomach or there's something else not working about their diet and there's actually more of like a health issue going on. So that's a question for your veterinarian and especially if you're seeing your puppy really targeting specific items or um, especially if they're kind of unusual. Like if your puppy is chewing your deliciously stinky old athletic shoes, that's pretty typical. But if they're really targeting something a little bit more unusual, that could be a case where you want to talk to your vet. And this is also goes true when your puppy is ingesting things. So we'll talk a little bit more about ingestion and pica specifically later on in this podcast, but um, that's something else to kind of keep in mind. If your puppy is really like eating a lot of non-food items, you know, there's a chance they're just a lab. <laughs> or um, Maybe there's something going on medically that we need to address. And before we start thinking about um, particularly punishing or redirecting the puppy away from chewing on unwanted items, we really need to be making sure that their needs are being met, you know, both physically and mentally before um, we start going down any further routes of intervention. One of the next really, really important things for puppy chewing problems is just the basics of puppy proofing. In a lot of cases, um, when I'm talking to clients about the fact that their puppy is chewing stuff up, their puppy is just being left unsupervised near their shoes. And the problem at this point 
for most puppies isn't that the puppy wants to chew on the shoes. It's that the puppy is under-supervised and that the house hasn't been appropriately puppy-approved. So while, yes, some puppies just never seem to go after shoes or books or whatever it is, um, and that's great, the fact that your puppy is getting into something says that we need to puppy-proof more adequately. So we've talked about puppy pens and puppy palaces <laughs> endlessly on this podcast, and guess what we're going to talk about about again now. So get yourself an exercise pen or some baby gates and block off a part of your house that is completely puppy-proofed. There are no coffee tables, there are no shoes, there are no books, pens, cords, plants, anything that your puppy may chew is not accessible when your puppy is in that pen. And if your puppy is not completely supervised, your puppy is in that pen. That said, this is again where we need to circle back to that exercise and enrichment side of things because where confinement and puppy proofing and all of this starts getting problematic is when we're not doing the flip side of really doing a good job of meeting your puppy's needs. So see some of our previous episodes that talk about ex exercise and enrichment and ways to really fulfill your puppy's life to make sure that you're meeting both sides of that coin. Then within your puppy pen area, make sure that you're giving your puppy lots and lots of good options to chew on. You know, I'm talking antlers, bully sticks, stuffed Kongs, pig's ears, bullion ice cubes, and mimic whatever it is that they keep trying to chew on without your permission. So if your puppy's really going for that wooden um, <laughs> corner of your coffee table, get them something that's similar in texture and potentially even taste for them to chew on. Obviously something safe. Um, Versus if your puppy is really going for, like, the soft leather of a shoe, you might want to think more about a pig's ear. And if your, your puppy really wants to be shredding books, maybe you should be giving them your junk mail to shred. So really, you can use what your puppy is going for, quote-unquote, without permission to inform what you're going to give them permission to chew on. And note that as your puppy goes through their day, and particularly through weeks and months, they're going to have different preferences. So try to rotate your toys. And again, I'm talking lots. Like if I look around my apartment right now, I can see three antlers, two marrow bones. And, um, you know, later today, the dogs are going to get some Kongs. And then in the evening, they're going to each get a pig's ear. And that's really standard for us every single day, even though my dogs are quite a bit older. Um, Niffler, my puppy is seven months and uh, my older dog is seven and a half years old, they get that every single day as part of their daily enrichment. And you know what? Knock on wood, but so far Niffler has only destroyed one thing that we've had in our home since I've had him. And it's because I give him such a variety. And what I've really noticed is he actually had very little interest in antlers or bones until he was about five months old and his adult teeth started coming in. When he was a little bitty baby, he really wasn't interested in those harder things. And as he was teething, he got really interested in like things that he could really kind of gum down on. Um, so, you know, keep an eye on that and just know that, you know, it's a lot of variety. It's a lot of options. And try to rotate things. So I have three different boxes of toys and shoes. And every couple weeks, I rotate out um, the box that's out and rotate in a new box. And that really helps kind of keep their interests up. Because no matter how great your toys and shoes are, at some point, your dog's going to get bored of them. And then again, as we're talking about puppy proofing, we'll bring up supervision and management again. So 
My basic thought with supervision is that first with a brand new puppy, the only time they're out of that puppy palace is when you are directly interacting with them. We are talking two eyes and two hands available for the puppy, you know. And then as we're doing that more and more, um, and your puppy, you know, naturally, of course, like someone's going to call you or you're going to get distracted by something. And you may take your eyes or hands off the puppy for a couple minutes. Totally normal. Totally fine. As long as your puppy continues to prove that they are trustworthy in those moments, then we can start thinking about reducing supervision. So if I am interrupting my puppy from getting into things that I don't want them to get into, or they're not fully potty trained or whatever it is, with full supervision, they are not ready for less supervision. <laughs> um, but pretty quickly with Niffler, I would say when he was about, mm, I don't know, 12 weeks old, we were starting to do kind of casual supervision where I was on the couch in the same room as them. And I was reading while the dogs were playing. And then as soon as Niffler kind of started to go to sleep, I would just put him back in his puppy pen um, and restart from there. Um, so we graduated to that kind of partial supervision pretty quickly. I did not start leaving him unattended, like where I went to another room when he was out of his puppy palace until he was closer to uh, 18 weeks old or so. Um, now at seven months, um, and probably since he's been about six months old, he eats in his crate and is still fully crate trained. We still use it, but we don't need it. So he's um, currently trustworthy being left alone for six hours a day. That's not going to be the case for everyone. That's not going to be everyone's timeline. But what you can take home from this is that if your puppy is getting into things that you don't want them to get into while you're supervising them at some level, they are not ready for more freedom. You need to go back to the drawing board and think about their exercise, their enrichment, their behavioral wellness, and making sure that they're getting enough rest before you start giving them more freedom and more privileges. That supervision and management is what keeps our puppies safe um, from our stuff, because some of our stuff is toxic, and keeps your stuff safe from your puppies. And as we talked about, this is going to change with age, and that's okay. That's totally normal. I said Niffler has only destroyed one thing since I've had him, and that actually was just a couple weeks ago. So he was probably six and a half months old. He'd been fully, um, you know, free and loose in the house for several weeks at this point. And I came home one day from, I don't remember where I was, work, say, um, and he had uh, chewed up a pretty good bit of my coffee table. Um hasn't happened again since. Basically what happened um, that same night later on, um, and I didn't scold him, I didn't deal with it at all. I was just kind of like, well, okay, that happened. Bad Kayla. Um, but later that same night, as I was sitting and reading, I saw he wandered over to the coffee table and kind of put his mouth on it. I said, uh-uh, cut it out. And he did. And so far we haven't had another problem. Knock on wood. If we were having ongoing problems, that would have been grounds for a reduction in Niffler's freedom. Um, and potentially me thinking about, okay, did he get enough exercise before I left? Did he have ample chew toys? Did he have good options? Should I just block off the coffee table to prevent him from going after that? Or do I need to actually do I need to contain the coffee table or do I need to contain Niffler? Um, I guess is kind of the question I'm trying to ask. So, you know, with this, with supervision as part of, as such an integral part to dealing with chewing, the other thing that we need to think about is how to react if and when you do catch your puppy doing something that you don't want as far as chewing goes. 
again, ideally, we are setting up our puppies' um, situation to where they have, if they've got bully sticks and pig's ears and bullion ice cubes and kongs and antlers and marrow bones, there's a very good chance that they have zero interest in going for anything else that you've got. Particularly, again, if you're putting that stuff up and out of reach and just making it a little bit more difficult. Over time, you're going, your puppy is basically going to get addicted to the things that they're allowed to chew on. And, you know, like, why on earth would any reasonable puppy chew on a coffee table when they could chew on a pig's ear? And over time, yes, things like shoes will still be tempting, but because they've got so many other options and they've learned to use those options, they're going to be a little bit less likely to go for shoes. But, okay, so what do you do if you do catch them? I gently interrupt the puppy and redirect them to something else. So as I said with Niffler, when he started kind of going for that coffee table, I said, oh, uh uh-uh, nope, cut that out. You know, it wasn't big, it wasn't scary, it wasn't a huge deal. And then I took a toy and showed him that and sent him to go play with that. That said, this can create a big problem for clients, um, for, for you guys, for your listeners, for my clients, when we do this wrong. So what can happen is if your puppy is wandering around and they're a little bit bored and they go and they go and they put their mouth on something and then you say, uh-uh, cut that out. And then you go and animate a toy or produce food or produce a chew what has your puppy just learned? They learned that if they want you to engage with them and they want you to play with them and they're bored, one of the things they can do is go and start chewing on something and you will come and engage with them. So if you are finding yourself having to do this more than once a day, you need to reevaluate your puppy proofing, your management, and your supervision plan. And again, with that, we are increasing the enrichment. We are increasing safe options that are available for your puppy. Caveat there, safe is going to differ for each puppy. Some dogs will break their teeth on antlers. Some dogs will ingest bully sticks and give themselves blockages. Talk to your vet, work with your puppy, get to know your puppy and figure out what's going to be safe for them because it's going to vary a lot from puppy to puppy. So again, if you're catching catching your puppy chewing on things more than once a day in a way that you don't like, there's a very good chance that you are creating what we call an accidental behavior chain where your puppy is learning, oh, I'm bored. I'm going to go chew on something so mom comes and does something fun with me. Again, we need to reevaluate your supervision, management, and puppy proofing. And that also is going to be a sign um, to consider, you know, are you engaging with your puppy enough when they're doing, when they're good? Are you engaging with your puppy enough preemptively? If they really seem to believe that the best way to get you to pay attention to them is by doing something quote unquote bad in our definition, you know, they're just doing what works for them. We really need to reevaluate whether or not you're paying enough attention to your puppy and whether or not your puppy knows appropriate ways to ask you to engage with them in play. Okay, so that's how to deal with it. Um, And a note on boredom and attention seeking. Then let's kind of circle back to more of these like problematic potential options. Most of the time, chewing is totally normal. Most of the time, it's just your puppy exploring the world with their mouth. It's just them chewing. Nothing to worry about in any way, shape, or form. But sometimes, Chewing is related to pica, um, which is basically where your puppy or dog is eating non-food items, which (laughs) I'm not a vet. So there's there's a lot of different um, information out there. It's something to look into. But if you're really noticing your puppy is actually eating or swallowing any of the things they're going for, we see this sometimes with dogs that kind of compulsively eat socks or rocks or underwear. Um, Talk to your vet right away. This is 
a potentially life-threatening thing. I know several dogs who have died because um, of these blockages that can happen in their intestines when they eat these things. And even if you get your dog into the vet fast enough, at some point, every time they cut open the intestines to remove something and then sew them back together, the surgery gets more and more dangerous. So it's a big deal. If your puppy is really like kind of obsessively eating things where like as soon as you let them into your son's bedroom and they see a sock on the ground, they're just going and gobbling that down. You, you need help. Um, I'm happy to help consult with you a little bit on the behavioral side of things, but it also is the sort of thing that we might need to loop a vet in pretty quickly because sometimes it seem, there, there's been some research out there, if I'm not misremembering, that links pica to some digestive GI um, issues. So, you know, that again, just like excessive chewing as well as the ingestion pica side of things can actually be a sign of upset stomach, GI issues, diet imbalance, or other kind of like underlying stress. So if you're really struggling with this, like, and it just feels like your puppy is on the extreme end of things. And again, like pretty much all puppies chew. It's pretty normal. And some puppies chew a lot. You know, I, I was joking about labs, like labs and retrievers are pretty notorious for putting everything in their mouths. So what is normal for a lab may be alarming or concerning for another breed. Um, <laughs> but getting to know that, talking to other puppy owners, you can talk to the admin over at the Pandemic Puppy Raising Support Group on Facebook. You can reach out to me. Um, we will set you up with a consult, which does cost money, but we can talk a little bit more about what that may look like and what whether or not your puppy kind of falls in that normal range and what to do about it. Um, and again, we'll probably have to loop in a vet if there's a chance that there's GI, diet, underlying stress, upset stomach, those sorts of things that are contributing. So you may notice that at this point in the podcast, we're talking about chewing nonstop and we have not talked about deterrence. Generally, I don't really use them. I don't really need them because for me, chewing is about making sure that your puppy has supervision, management, puppy proofing, so they don't have access to things that they're not allowed to have. And they've got lots and lots of options for things they are allowed to have. And then we graduate them up through to give them less and less supervision and management as they prove that they are trustworthy. So we just don't really need deterrence. Um, the other thing that I've really noticed is a lot of puppies, like they're not eating something because it tastes good. They're chewing on it because it makes their gums feel good or because, you know, kind of their genetic wiring tells them they need to chew. Um, so a lot of times making something taste bad doesn't even really seem to help. Um, in some specific cases, I may use it. If your puppy is really targeting something specific, I would probably err on the side of just physically blocking it off and then giving them other options because they'll get out of the habit of going for it over time. But, you know, if your puppy was really going after something pretty specific, um, and particularly if they are kind of really gnawing on it in a way that the, a taste deterrent is actually going to help, um, you could look into them. They're not the worst thing in the world, um, but I would certainly avoid any other stronger forms of punishment that may scare or startle your puppy um, when they're going for chewing things because chewing is a really natural, normal part of puppy development and it is a big ethical issue to remove that um, behavioral option from their repertoire without giving them other outlets for it. This podcast is supported by the Puppy Raising Blueprint course, which you can find at journeydogtraining.com slash blueprint. In this course, which is partnered between Journey Dog Training and Canine of Mine, I guide you through everything from common problem behaviors like biting and potty training to the humane hierarchy of dog training. It's always available on a self-study basis at journeydogtraining.com slash blueprint. 
As a new puppy owner, I know how often we're cleaning up. While there's no replacement for management, supervision, and training, Clean Carl's has my back for the times that I slip up and Niffler has an accident. Clean Carl's pet mess products get rid of stains and odors from dog poop and cat pee and everything in between without any added scents so your house won't smell like poop or cleaning products. Plus, they're safe to use around both pets and kids. Next time your furry friend has an accident, try Clean Carl's Pet Mess Zapper and Remover. Use the code JOURNEY10 and get 10% off your first order. Just head over to cleancarls.com and use code JOURNEY10 at checkout. All right, so now for time for some questions from our Patreon. Caroline H. asked, Something I've been thinking about after listening to an interview with Karen Overall is that Kipling, my border collie, is seven months old and has now shown no sensitivity or fear of noises and has experienced thunderstorms, construction noise, sirens, big trucks, etc. He's a pretty confident little man in general. That being said, he's a working line border collie, which can be super genetically predisposed to noise sensitivity. I still sporadically feed him post loud noises, but besides that, I haven't really been working on it developmentally at what age is noise phobia likely to manifest is there anything i should be doing to work on it with him given his age this is a great question caroline and i actually think it's probably a question for dr overall or some other um researcher who's really working with this um my guess would be and this is a guess um you would either see it by now you know your seven month old puppy um or you would see it around that seven to nine month kind of like fear imprinting sort of period that um, Dr. James Ha talked about in our episode with him, where um, he talked about a lot of dogs developing phobias after going through 4th of July fireworks here in the US when they're about seven to nine months old, or if there were some sort of traumatic experience. But I'm not actually sure, like with these working line border collies that do have so many issues with um, noise phobia, at what age that tends to manifest. I would expect it to start showing up um, probably around now. Um, so I think what you're doing probably makes a lot of sense doing some feeding post loud noises and just keeping an eye on it. Um I wouldn't overdo it with the feeding post loud noises because we don't need to draw any extra attention to the loud noises and um, make them more salient and more important to Kipling at this point. Um, but yeah, I, I, I honestly don't know. Um, it's a great question. We'll have to, we, we might have to reach out to Dr. Overall uh, and just ask around in the working border collie community and uh, we'll try to get back to you. Who knows? All right, and then Michelle comments that her significant other's dog is good on leash, except when she knows we're going somewhere exciting, like the dog park or the beach. What's the best way to teach her not to pull, even when she wants to get somewhere? It's difficult to train her before she's gotten her daily exercise, so if we try to train loose leash walking during this time, she will completely ignore us and bark whine. Would letting her pull in these specific contexts result in her pulling more all the time? Good question, Michelle. Um, so I have two thoughts. If you're getting a lot of barking, whining, and well, I have more than two thoughts. If you're getting a lot of barking and whining early on in training, potentially try exercising your dog a little bit more before the loose leash walking. So go out in your backyard and play with a flirt pole, play fetch, um, do some treat scatter games or something that can help kind of reduce your dog's energy level before you start training. And then if you're getting a lot of barking and whining again, that's probably a sign of frustration. So you may need to up 
your value of reinforcer, you may need to up your rate of reinforcement. So you might be needing to reward your dog with something much tastier like hot dogs or string cheese much more often. So like every step. Sometimes um, for some of these dogs, I will also use Denise Fenzi's kind of circling method of walking the dog in these big loops. So, you know, like a circle with like a 10 foot or 10 meter radius even um, to kind of help get them to move and get them to understand that, hey, if you pull me towards something, we're actually going to circle away from it. And then as soon as that leash is loose again, then we'll kind of circle back up and move towards it again. That said, that can be really frustrating. I am totally guilty of, you know, in the, some of these specific contexts. So, for example, when I used to work at the Humane Society of Western Montana, every day at lunch, I would grab my two dogs and we would go out to the play yard and they would play fetch while I ate my lunch. We would play fetch while I ate my lunch. I just let them pull me. It was, I don't know. <sighs> yeah, like a like hundred meters, if if that. And it is just easier for me, especially on my lunch break. I have 30 minutes. I'm trying to carry my food. I would rather just get pulled over to the play yard than to um, <laughs> try to spend my entire lunch break training. And um, I have not noticed that breaking our loose leash walking skills in other ways at this point. So that's certainly a possibility, but if you're really just running into it, um, the pulling in those specific contexts, I don't think that that is going to be a big deal for you guys mm -hmm. elsewhere, as long as you're still being good um, in, uh, in, you know, quote unquote, real life or the rest of the uh, rest of your dog's life. Last Patreon question for the day. We have another question from Michelle um, about our, which is a follow-up to our Stranger Danger episode. And she writes, my dog has Stranger Danger, but instead of just barking, she will run right up to the person and bark in their face. This happens even when they're not particularly close to us, such as at the beach. She'll sprint over to them to bark at them. We're working on counter conditioning and we can usually call her off if we notice it soon enough, but I'd really like to understand why she wants to get so close just to bark at them. So... Michelle, without knowing more detail, I can't quite tell you why this is happening. Um, there's a good chance. I, yeah, I really can't tell you why. What I would do to deal with it, though, is that I would have the dog on a long line. Um, on the beach, that might be a 30-foot biothane long line that you're letting the dog drag so you can step on it. Um, or it might have to be in your hands. But I would not be letting my dog run up to people and bark at them. It's rude, it's potentially dangerous, and it's potentially scary for those people, especially as your dog gets older. Um, so as long as that is a possibility and a risk, your dog is going to need to be on a long line of some sort. I know that you usually can call her off if you notice it soon enough. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think the leash is going to have to be part of this. And then we can work on some look at that, counter conditioning sorts of games at a distance. But as long as your dog is off leash and making the choice to close distance towards those people right now, um, your dog is just, they're showing that they're not capable of making the right decision in that moment. And it's, again, scary, dangerous, upsetting for everyone else. So we probably just need to have her on leash just circling back to this why question, it really depends. Um, or you know, I'm kind of imagining two different scenarios, and I'm so we're now we're, we're zooming out away from Michelle's dog um, specifically, and just kind of two different dog types that I've seen in this sort of situation. One might be that the dog um, doesn't quite realize they're scared until they're closer, so they kind of run up to investigate. They realize that it's a person. They realize that they don't know them. They get scared and they start barking. 
I've seen Niffler do this where he thinks that it's someone he knows in our driveway. He gets all excited, runs up to them. And then as he's, you know, 10 feet away, he kind of realizes that it's not who he thought it was. And you can see this like really stark change in his body language. And then he gets scared and might bark a little bit. The other thing that could be going on here is that your dog is basically, you know, deciding that the best defense is a good offense. They're either scared or upset or territorial. You know, I, we, we don't know what's going on internally for them. But by approaching someone, barking at them, they're actually trying to get that person to back up, to leave, to move away. Um, so they're scared, but they're using offense as a good defense there. And that would be my guess as to why this is happening. But without seeing video and knowing a lot more about your dog, I can't really say. And honestly, even in those cases, like why questions are really hard to answer in animal behavior. So um, I hope that that helped. Um, if you're interested in submitting your own Patreon questions, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash pandemic puppy. We would be thrilled to have you there. Um, if, if not, you can also join us at um, journeydogtraining.com slash blueprint for the puppy raising blueprint course. It is a comprehensive course that includes, you know, I borrowed a bunch of different friends puppies. So you get to see all sorts of different breeds and ages and dog types working through different training programs. And you can also join that free pandemic puppy raising support group over on Facebook. So we've got lots and lots of free options for you as well as some paid options to continue getting you the help that you need with puppy raising. Thank you guys so much for listening and we will be back in your earbuds next week. <laughs>